Our reading today is from Romans 8, 26 to 30. Romans 8, 26 to 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Jonathan. Glad that you can be here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and show you forearms so you don't get a million emails later in the week. Did I get a new tattoo? Yes. Not a real one, right? A henna tattoo. It happens to be Penny's birthday today. So it's a big uh, day for the women in our home. Uh, But we had a henna tattoo part of our party on Friday, and I'm a part of that, all right? So I've got a few that are floating around, but it's, who knows, post-sabbatical, no guarantees. Might be real on the way back. For real, who knows? Not real today. Anyway, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps us. I love this chapter. You know, we're we're focusing seven sermons or seven teachings on Romans chapter 8. That's a lot of time, maybe in one chapter. I would love for you to have your Bible open to that. We've got a Bible for you at the Connect Center if you would like to borrow one and then keep it. It is our gift to you. Have your phone open. Uh, We're going to be looking at these verses, but it's dense. Pauline theology is never easy to kind of parse through, but there's some beautiful things here. And one of the things that we have been saying is that this chapter has no commands. That's one of the reasons it's so unique and so special is because it's filled with promises. It's about confident assurance in what God has done through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It begins with the statement, there is therefore now no condemnation. As I said, I think we can preach all seven sermons based on the confidence of that statement alone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you are now in Jesus Christ, if you are in union with him, your life, no matter how messy, how messed up, how painful, there's now no condemnation over your life. Hey, it's filled with promises. This is Romans chapter 8. But what I appreciate, especially if you're on the outside of Christianity looking in, is that Paul doesn't avoid the the harder parts of the story. Right? He's not going to avoid the pain, the things that we might call the defeaters of Christianity, the difficult things that you and I face. He talks about groaning, the the painful complexities of life. What we read last week, what he calls the bondage, to corruption. And what he's essentially saying is, let's be very real and let's be very honest. It's that dear struggling Christian thing from Romans chapter 7, that yes, there is hope in the gospel, but there's all this tension in our lives, our lives as followers of Jesus, because we know the good that we ought to do, but we don't have the character to pull it off. And so life is filled with painful complexities. And Paul doesn't avoid that. 
right? But nor does he stop there. He doesn't make it the last chapter or the last laugh. He gives it credence. We're going to spend a little bit of time on it. Jeff masterfully took us through the groans of creation and the groans of our hearts last week, but you're going to hear that word again this week, but then it's going to take us into something so much better than a secular worldview, right? A scientific worldview that says your groan is the end of the story. Do whatever you can to overcome it, but there really is no real substantial hope. Christianity says there is real substantial hope. And so we're going to look at three things today. And actually, Mother's Day present, two things today. I decided to take the third point and I'm going to lump it into next week. So really just looking at two things today. Number one, the groans of God. And number two, the purposes of God. I left it in intentionally so I could bless you, right? I could have taken it out. Only two points. Supposed to be three. Taken off one. Mother's Day present. Groans of God, the purposes of God. You ready? The groans of God. I'm going to go back to verse 23 if you have a phone or a Bible. It's not what was read this morning, but verse 23 said this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Go to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All right. Groaning is part of the human story. I appreciate that Paul goes there. In a chapter filled with promises, he at least spends a few minutes thinking about Groaning. We all groan, and specifically actually says Christians groan. In verse 23, he says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit of God in your life, we groan as we carry the difficult things that come at us. We carry those things. You who have the first fruits of the Spirit, you are not immune from the painful things of this life. There's burdens of life that we carry within a world like ours where things happen, like where the Lakers beat the Warriors again and LeBron might get another one again. There are things that do happen that we do carry. There are painful things that each of us carry. It could be a job layoff. It could be a, a, a relationship that did not pan out, has not worked out. It could be an unmet dream. It could be a relationship with a family member that you say, I have labored and hoped that it would improve. It just simply hasn't. And there are things that we carry through life. And what Paul is saying here, this is so important, he says that the the burdens that you carry would be stifling without the first fruits of Easter, without the reality of adoption as sons and daughters. This gives us hope. It gives you help to know that there is something coming that's going to rework and remake everything that you are facing. It does not wash it away in the moment, but it simply says it's not the last chapter, something else is coming for each of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. It gives us tremendous help and it gives us tremendous hope. This is what Paul said in that verse, verse 25 and 26, for in this hope we were saved. In this promise of Easter, the first fruits, the adoption stuff we've talked about the last couple of weeks, it gives us help. Now look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, likewise the Spirit helps us. Okay, so he says likewise. In other words, he says you're getting help from the hope that's coming, 
but likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You may remember that in John 15, 26, Jesus told his disciples that he would be departing and that when he left, he would be sending who? He would be sending the Holy Spirit, who is also known as the Helper. And here Paul tells us that the Spirit is actually helping us. Well, let's ask the question, what is the Spirit actually doing when he comes to help us? Well, first, he's helping us in our weakness, right? He's helping us with that dear struggling Christian part of the story, that Romans dynamic, as I said, that tension in our lives, that tension in our hearts, that we are the sort of the people who know intellectually the good that ought to be done. We don't have the character to be able to pull that part of the story off. We're a mixed bag of motives, sure. But how does the Spirit help us? How does he actually help us? Well, the text tells us that he intercedes for us when we don't know what to say and we don't know what to pray. I love that. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. He helps us by stepping in when life has sidelined us, it has disillusioned us, it's confused us, it's weakened us, and we're exhausted with the sighs and the groans of life. The Spirit prays for us according to the perfect will of God. Man, it is an incredible thing to consider. When the Father sees and moves into your jumbled heart, when he is searching your life, your mind, and your heart, he finds the familiar voice of the Holy Spirit, and he steps in on your behalf. You see how that works? The Spirit is in your life. The Spirit, the Father, the Father searches your life, and what he finds is the Spirit dwelling in you, and the Spirit is praying on your behalf because what the Father is doing is he wants all of your heart. He wants all of you. It's an incredible thing to consider. Verse 27, look there again. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Man, think about a parent on a playground with all of the chaos and all of the different noises and all of the little laughter. When your little one gets hurt, especially the mamas in the room, they know that voice and they know that cry, don't they? They understand that that's my child. Doesn't matter how much noise, how, many, how much chaos, how much play and laughter. When they hear their little one, even if they're not looking, they go, that's my baby. That's my little one. That's my child. And so, of course, the fathers care too. Fathers and mothers, we run to the aid and to the assistance of the little one. But you know that when a father and a mother come up alongside that little one, you know what they do right before they offer care? I thought about this. You know what we do as parents? Even if it's very brief, we groan with them. And it can just sound like this. Oh, right. Oh, oh. Let me get down. Let me love you. Let me help you. We groan with them because we see them, because we love them. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Magician's Nephew, there's a character by the name of Diggory who has done the unthinkable. He's brought Queen Jadis, who is the future white witch, into the land of Narnia on its first day, introducing evil into an otherwise innocent world. And Aslan asks if Diggory is ready to undo this wrong. And of course, Diggory says yes, he consents, he's ready to do it. But he also has a past life, and he has a mother who is very sick. 
And he stops and he asks Aslan, well, I want to fix what's going on here. Can you fix what's going on there with my mother? And here's what Lewis writes. He says, up until then, Diggory had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. And now in despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own and wonder of wonders, great shining tears, stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment, he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. See, what Paul is saying, and we have to notice this, Paul does not simply say that the Spirit just prays articulately on our behalf. What does he say? He actually says that the Spirit of God who lives in you groans on your behalf. He enters into the pain with us. As one of my friends has said, he shares so deeply in our pain that he's speechless too. Who is this God? Who is this God who comes to live in your life, in your heart? And he says, you know what? You got no words? I got no words too. You've got pain? I've got pain too. Look, if you are groaning, I am so tethered to your life and to your heart that I'm going to groan too. The Spirit of God is speechless with you. Why is he speechless with you? Why can he groan with you? Well, listen, it's because of the gospel. It's because Jesus Christ has groaned for you. This is what the gospel says. This is why we read the account of Jesus' life. The Spirit groans with us because Jesus has groaned for us. And when Jesus groans for us, what is he doing? He's taken all of the pain, all the shame, all the condemnation, all the stuff that lives in your broken heart. He goes, even if you got the broken heart, I'm going to come live there. Because all the stuff that would separate us is gone. Did you hear the cry from the cross, that groan on your behalf in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus groaned for you so that the Spirit of God can groan with you. Man, you should stop and say, who is this God? I don't want to know more of this God. The Spirit groans with us because Christ has grown, died, buried, resurrected for us. Let me give you a few implications and move to point two. A few implications of this truth that God the Father is searching hearts. He's looking for the Holy Spirit who lives in your heart so that he can connect with you, step in and intercede with you and grown too. Few implications. Number one, you are never alone in your suffering. That's what this text says. It may feel like you are alone. You may wonder where God is. You may question. You can shake your fist and say, God, you seem really, really far from me. But this truth is telling us that God is connected with us so intimately that when you groan, he groans. Maybe you can't hear it, but he hears you. He's interceding with you and for you. You are never alone in your suffering. Number two, you are completely free to be honest with God. Because guess what? He knows your heart. He knows everything about you. You can be completely free. You can express the hurt and the pain. Because what he's going to do is he's going to intercede on your behalf so that whatever that groan is, whatever that hurt is, whatever that junk is that you want to be able to express to him, but you actually don't have the words, you can go, God, 
I don't even know what to say. I'm just so hurt. The effectiveness of your praying has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. He sees you and he intercedes with you, for you, with a groan. And then lastly, I love this. This is hard. The end of you is the beginning of God's work in your life. The end of you is the beginning of God's work in your life. Where do we see that? We see it in verse 26. Verse 26 says, the Spirit helps us in our what? In our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our infirmity, man. The Spirit helps us when I don't know what to say, when I don't know what to pray. The Spirit helps me when I'm caught in Romans 7 tension of knowing the good that I ought to do but not having the affection and the character to pull it off. The Spirit helps me in my weakness, in my tears, in my woundedness. When I blew it, this is where the Spirit of God shows up. Not when I'm clever, not when I've got wisdom, not when I've got all the answers, not on my best day. This is not where God connects with your life. It says the Spirit is a helper. When's he going to help you? In your weakness. You are welcome here. All of you. You are welcome in this space. We don't need clever answers. We don't need shiny Christians. He's ready to help you in your hurt, in your groan, in your weakness. That's what the Spirit enters in. Part one, the groans of God. And then part two for today, the purposes of God. Look again at verse 27. Verse 27 says this, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28 Maybe the most glorious verse in this chapter. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? Verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul is saying, look, you might not even know it. You could be completely unaware that the Spirit of God is giving you help in the moment, in the pain, and in the grief. He goes, but he's interceding for you when you grieve. He's helping you in your weakness. You may have no clue, but he goes, let me give you a few clues. Make you aware of a few things that God is doing. Another aspect of God's help, that in every facet of your life as a Christian, God is actually working for your good. This is what theologians have historically called the doctrine of God's providence. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. John Piper adds, God is so supremely in charge of the world that all the things that happen to Christians are ordered in such a way that they actually serve our good. All the things in the entire world will serve as redemptive good in your life if you love this God. We're going to look at that part in a moment. Now, of course, the common objection, if you're not a Christian, you should say, well, Christianity and Romans 8, man, it's filled with promises. You're telling me about a God who's able to weave everything together. You don't know my life. 
you know, the painful things that I've encountered. You're telling me that I should believe in some God who can weave all of this together, all the pain, all the sin, all the woundedness, all the wars and all the violence, all the rejection that I have faced, all the things that we see as people. This God can do that. It takes way too much faith to believe in a God like that. Let me also say that there's a flip side to that objection, which is simply this. It takes tremendous faith to believe that all of this is accidental. It takes tremendous faith to believe that all of this is a collision and that everything that you see is accidental and is somehow held together in perfect balance day after day after day. The question isn't, is Christianity filled with faith, especially in this naive God who can pull all things together and Christians are so naive and narrow to believe that, right? It takes tremendous, to, uh, takes tremendous faith to believe that this is not part of the story that we're here accidentally. Tim Keller adds, the universe is not a mechanism run by blind chance. It is run by a person, and not just any person, but our Father. We don't need to fear life and circumstances. The Father is working all things together for redemptive good in your life. And it is a revolutionary way to see your life and the circumstances in your week-to-week, your Monday through Sunday. Man, it is a revolutionary way to see reality. And for a moment, I want you to consider a big shift that took place in human history when humans discovered that the world wasn't flat and that beyond the horizon of the sea, which you can see how you think to yourself, go to the ocean, look out at the sea and go, I wonder what's out there. When they discovered that the world wasn't flat, but there was more water and then more land and more opportunity, what happened when they had this realization and this revolutionary shift in the perspective on what the world was about? See, when they discovered that the world wasn't a horizontal plane, but it was a globe, and for some of you, this is new news. I understand that. This is a big deal for you today, okay? The earth wasn't a horizontal plane, but it was a globe. You know what happened? We became fearless explorers. That's what happened. You decided that you weren't going to drop off the edge of the world into who knows what. We started to say, well, maybe there's safety on the other side of this invisible line. Our vision of the world changes. Now there were new places to go. There were new experiences. There were new lands to see, new harbors to be able to arrive in. So men and women and children and families, they boarded those boats and they went to new places out of a fearlessness. They saw the world differently. The world would never be the same. See, to believe that God is working all things for the good of those who love him completely rearranges the way that you experience all of your life. You got some big benchmarks in life. It's graduation season. We got big things that we have accomplished. Maybe you did get a new promotion or that home you've always wanted. There are big, beautiful benchmarks in our world and in our lives. But what about those smaller, hidden, random, painful, seemingly senseless things in life God is able to use the promotion, but he's also able to use the layoff. He's able to use the biology exam, but also getting cut from the team that you've been looking for and looking forward to. He can use our spouses and our roommates and the annoying next door neighbor. He's working on your best day and on your worst day within your clean bill of health and within your cancer. Those things too. He is working for your redemptive Good. Look at what Piper says. 
outside Romans 8.28, all this confusion and anxiety and fear and uncertainty and straw houses of deadening drugs and tin roofs of retirement plans and cardboard fortifications of anti-ballistic missiles and a thousand other substitutes for Romans 8.28. But once you walk through the door of love into the massive, unshakable structure of Romans 8.28, everything changes. There's nothing outside of the possibility that God can use it in your life for your good. No past pain, no present trauma, nothing going on in a marriage or in a relationship, not even your sin. This text says all things work together for the good. And actually, if I look back at my life, it's those areas where I've gotten caught in habits and practices and sinful behaviors that God has actually used to wake me up to the reality of his grace and his goodness. You know what you want in your life? You want a sensitivity to your sin because God will use that to say you have been insensitive to the Savior. But if you don't have a sensitivity to who you really are on the inside, in your character, at gut level, then encountering Jesus is going to continually be flat. Avoid this. The gospel is nothing. It's not good news. But there's nothing outside of you, your life, your heart, your behaviors. You simply cannot ruin your own life if you love God and are called by him. Did you hear that? You simply cannot derail and ruin your life if you are called according to his purpose and you love this God. Look what Ray Ortland adds. He says, I can easily sin my way out of a clear conscience out of the assurance of my salvation, out of my ministry, out of my marriage, my children's respect, financial solvency, a good reputation, my health, I can easily send my way into disgrace and heartache and a sexually transmitted disease and bankruptcy and mediocrity and tragic inconsequentiality, but I cannot send my way out of the purpose of God because my sin is the very thing his saving purpose most intentionally redeems. Romans 8, 28. In all things, God is working for your good, for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and according to those who love him. Each and every moment and each and every day, God is advancing his agenda, his will, and his purposes in the world and in your heart. That's what he's doing. This is who he is. Man, who is this God who groans with me? And who is this God who will use even my worst days to advance good in my life? Now, just to be clear, this text does not say that God will only allow good things into your life if you love him. That's not what the text says, is it? God only allows good things? No. It says that he has the ability to work and redeem all things for your good. Rain's going to fall on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Christians are not immune from the pain of the world. But we believe that God is the only one who can weave goodness out of this wreckage that we all face. And let me take you to this part before we close. This incredible promise, it only applies to a certain group of people, doesn't it? That's what Paul says. God is working for the good of those who 
loved him. It's a promise made to those who love God. So let's talk about that briefly. And those who are called, those who are welcomed, those who are adopted, those who are in relationship, those whom God has seen. God is the initiator. He goes, I'm calling you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. I'm calling you in. Do you love me? What does it mean to love God? Love means that you have set your heart and your affections on this God. You use your life to bring him honor. This is more than knowledge. This is more than sentiment. It's more than religious tradition. This is deep, real love. And the Bible tells us that we only love God because he loves us first. That's the point of the gospel. But for those who love God, who have set their affections, who have set their heart on him, God works all things together for their good. And listen to this implication, which I get from Tim Keller. He says, this by implication means even good things are bad for those who don't love God. This is hard. Even good things are bad for those who don't love God. Here's what he's saying. Look, for those who love God, my best moments, my best days and accomplishments are an opportunity for me to lean into his fatherly affection and care and to say, thank you for blessing me. My worst days are a day for me to be able to be reminded that I need a Savior and that he has provided one in Jesus Christ. So good days and bad days for those who love Jesus bring us closer into him. But for those who don't love God, Our best moments only reinforce what's already going on in their heart, which is essentially this. See, I knew it. I don't need God. I don't need God at all. Look at what I've been able to do. Look how good things are going for me. Look at this life that I have built for myself. It only reinforces the trajectory you're already on. Good things only lead you further Away, But for those who are called and who love him, God is working all things for our good. And what is that good? Let's be very specific. Paul is very specific. Look at verse 29 as we close. It's conformity to the image of Jesus. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Man, God loves you so much that he wants to make you righteous and holy and loving and gentle and forgiving and as merciful as the one and only son. He has this perfect mold, this perfect cast, this shape and pattern that he is patterning your life after. It's as if we are clay in the master's hands. It's almost as if Jeremiah talks about that, that God is the master sculptor and we are clay in his hands and he is gonna do something in your life, which is to make you look like his son. Not just being brought into the family and adopted, but we're talking about family resemblance. And let me tell you, if you ever met Jesus, you would say it's impossible for me to be like that man. Who is this man? Who groans with us? Who groans for us? Who sacrifices for us? Who's so loving? Who touches the leper? You're going to make my character like that? And see, that's the issue. It's a character thing. He's going to conform your life to the image of the one and only son. And we go, man, it's a character issue. I can't change my life at that level. I can do some outward behavioral things. I can change some traditions. I can pick up a few new habits, but nothing 
can change your heart. That's outside of the spirit who says, I'm going to go there. I'm going to live there. All of that outward groaning has been taken care of in Jesus Christ. I'm going to go there. Let's ask this question. Why would I trust him? Why would we believe that God is working for our good in a chaotic world like ours? Man, the most compelling evidence has to be what? It has to be the cross. That this thing that was intended for evil, that this thing was about ending this man's life, ended up being used for such tremendous good and healing and restoration and renewal. If you could stand at the foot of the cross and see that all of this evil culminated in your salvation, you could say, man, Jesus, you can have it all. You can have my best days and my worst days. I believe that you are working all things for my good. The evidence is the cross. What a horrific thing that you have turned upside down to heal all of us. What part of your worldview needs to be rearranged? Where have you been viewing the world as if it's flat? And when I say world, what we really mean is, where have you been viewing God in a way that you say, man, out over that dark abyss, he's not faithful, he's not good. This is a, this is a beautiful invitation to be reminded of who he really is. Do I know this God? Do I believe Romans 8.28 is a statement over my life? Will he work all things for my redemptive good? Yes, if you love him. And if you don't love him, it's a chance for you to say, oh, Lord Jesus, change my heart. And listen, if you got no words, you know what you get to do? You just get to groan. You just get to groan. And the Spirit will search your heart, and he will intercede for you. And he will make you new again. You have to come articulate. Just come with the sigh and the groan, and he is there. That's who this God is. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, so much in my life needs to shift and change. So much in our life as a group of people committed to following you is going to transform as you take hold of our spirit, as you renew us, as you remake us, as you groan with us, I pray we'd hear it today. I pray we'd hear the groans of God as we view Jesus and what he's done, as we see the cross and Christ groaning for us so that the spirit groans with us. He's speechless too. Jesus, we give you those groans right now. We pray you'd remake them and renew them. We pray that you'd be gentle in that space with us, that you would help us, be our helper. No need to come put together, no need to come clever. We just come weak because that's where the Spirit moves. That's where the Spirit intercedes in our weakness. Jesus, redeem, heal, Convince us that nothing is outside of your scope. That when you said all things will work together for the good of those who love you, you meant it. Every hard thing, every shameful chapter, we lay at your feet and we ask you to help heal us. Even right now as we sing to you, we ask you to heal us. These songs are worship and worship heals us. So meet with us here and now, Jesus. In your name we pray.